Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Bijou Podcasts. This is episode nine of The Stacey June Show. Today's guest is Roxanne Gay. I'm Stacey Jean. Hello. I want to help you find your inner spark. And I promise you, this podcast is going to be so much more than a motivational meme. By sharing the teachings and lessons I've learned on my path to spiritual and personal growth, you too can connect with your true self and become the most honest, worthy and powerful version of yourself you can be. This podcast is going to be about connecting with others and reconnecting you with yourself learning to enjoy the good stuff in the moment, the lessons in the hard stuff, which is often where they live, and to always find the funny in the fucked. Welcome to another episode of the Stacey June Show. Hey, I am Stace. Stacey June is me. I am excited to introduce my guest this week. Her name is Roxanne Gay. You may know her as the feminist author, commentator. She definitely packs a punch on Twitter if you follow her. Uh, She has written a plethora of incredible books and writes regularly for the New York Times. One of her books most recent, uh, I suppose, media attention was Hunger back in 2017. Um, She was out here and, and was promoting that book and, and actually was some a lot of press around her, a conversation she had at Mamma Mia, funnily enough. So you may remember her from, from that conversation that went down. Um, you can Google that for yourself. But today I'm chatting to her because she's coming to town. Uh, she's in Sydney on Friday the 29th of March and Melbourne the su- uh, Sunday the 31st of March for a conversation around feminism. Um, this is 42 is bringing her out and she's having a conversation off, I'm calling it, uh, with Christina Hoff Summers, who is also a feminist, uh, but they've definitely been dubbed as coming from quite different viewpoints, which I do ask Roxanne about really early on in the chat. And of course, as her usual candid self, she doesn't, uh, she doesn't hide what she feels about the way she's dubbed or the way she's promoted, which I kind of like about her. But because she does pack such a punch and she really gives it to you straight, which let me tell you is exactly why I wanted her on the show because I admire that so, so much. It is quite intimidating to have someone like that on your show and I'm going to put that straight out there. She's an incredibly... uh, 
you know, successful academic. Her intellect is beyond any type of study I've done. But I am completely intrigued by learning from people like her. And she speaks in this conversation about what someone like I can do for women of colour in the feminist conversation. She talks about whether we are having too much of a feminist conversation rather than doing the work. Uh, She talks about the kinds of things we can be doing. And she also breaks down for me her thoughts on what's going on in the home in 2019. What what is domestic labour to us and how much of it is still falling on chicks versus men. It is a really interesting chat. Uh, It's quicker than some of my other chats. I only got a small amount of time with her, but I am grateful for that time. She recorded this from from her home in LA and I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Feminism to me is something that is very innate. It's been a part of my life without necessarily understanding, I suppose, the label of it for a very long time. And once I started to realize there was a label to it, I really grew into that and found found comfort in that to some degree and and was never really one of those people that resisted it. And it was funny uh, because International Women's Day was recently and I saw so many different people speak. And, And Susan Carland, who is also an academic, and a writer um, and and speaks very often about these particular conversations or these particular topics, I should say, really um, got up at a body shop event that I was at and spoke about how she classifies herself as a feminist, but she's incredibly tired of the feminist conversation and she really wants us to all look a little bit deeper and start to see the similarities we have and the, the main goal that we have together and start doing the work. And and I do talk to Roxanne Gay about that a little bit more in my chat. So let me know what you think. Uh, I'd love to know if this sparked any type of conversation or thought process in your mind. I'm hoping it sparks a conversation with you and your girlfriends or the men in your life even. And, and I'd love you f- to share it. I think it's one of these things that we need to keep doing. We need to keep sharing, I suppose, the the real, I guess, simple stuff that I don't know has really shifted the way that, well, I know that hasn't shifted the way that we want it to shift. And it seems like sometimes maybe you're like me and you are that person that evokes conversation within your friends or within the people around you and you feel like you repeat yourself a lot. But I guess these conversations need to continue to happen even if you feel like you're repeating yourself. I can only imagine how Roxanne feels time and time again until shift and change occurs. And particularly if you are listening to this and you're a white girl that is super privileged living in Australia, there is a lot to be said about what we can be doing for our fellow sisters of colour in this community as well. I think there's another layer that we've found ourselves going in where feminism is a conversation that's having and now there's there's a conversation around what we can be doing for our Indigenous sisters and, and women of colour across the world. So have a listen. Let me know what you think. I hope you enjoy Roxanne. If you do want to get tickets to this particular show, uh, you can head to thisis42.com. Uh, they are on sale still. And as I said, she'll be here in Sydney on Friday the 29th of March at Sydney Town Hall and she'll be in Melbourne uh, on the 31st of March. So book now if you want to check it out. So without further ado, this is my chat with Roxanne Gay. I think what I wanted to begin with was, I suppose, the This Is 42 event uh, that you'll be coming and 
and featuring on in in a month's time, right? So you're here in Sydney and Melbourne. Yes. And a lot of the, I guess, conversation around yourself and um, and Christina Summers, Christina Hoff Summers that's joining you is, I suppose the conversation that she's a factual feminist and you are under this self-proclaimed bad feminist. I assume you approve all of the press and all of the kinds of words that they use and all the copy. Do we? I mean, is this something that you've now become quite comfortable sitting under, that title of bad feminist? Uh, I had no approval over any of the copy. Oh, really? Uh, really? Yeah, it's not my choice because the way they're setting it up, it's as if she's the one who's telling the truth and... Uh, what am I doing? Just making shit up? It's weird. Um, it is weird. That's why I want to ask about how comfortable or not comfortable you are with it. I'm not comfortable with it. I think, you know, when I agreed to do this, I didn't know who she was, to be honest. I just knew yeah. that we were going to be debating. And so I assumed that we would at least both be working from a place of at least some kind of common ground in terms of at least agreeing about what feminism is and why it's important. But alas, that is not the case. Uh, it's going to be fine. Um, but, you know, I, I think that the way things have gone, they it's a bit of a miscalculation. I think that it would have been more interesting to put two feminists on stage who were at least working from some common ground. I still think there would have been a really exciting and fruitful discussion that could come out of that. And I'm hopeful that we have an exciting and fruitful discussion, but I know that we disagree on a lot of really fundamental things and it's really frustrating that she'll be framed as the factual one. And I guess that makes me a factual. So it's hard to, to know how this is really going to go. And how to take it. Right. Because I think the thing is, I guess, even if you do disagree on points, you come from a similar place then the conversation can still be heated but the intention seems to be I don't know a little bit more hopeful yes absolutely and I I certainly think hope is important when you are talking about the rights and equality and equity of women in this world but I'm trying to keep an open mind and we will see what happens so what would your I guess I mean, what would your definition of bad feminist be? What, what, does, that, what does that mean to you? And, and what do you think is the meaning that they try and play out in the press? Well, you know, the, the definition, I trust that people in the press are being fair and they're going based on what I wrote in the book, Bad Feminist. And, mm. you know, in part it was tongue in cheek where feminism oftentimes has made it seem like you have to be perfect in your politics in order to participate in the feminist project. And if that's, you know, the case, well, I'm a bad feminist, but I still believe in my rights as a woman, but also historically feminism has prioritized the needs of heterosexual middle-class white women. Mm. And if that's good feminism, then I'm certainly a very bad feminist. Mm. And heavens forbid a feminist has a sense of humor or any form of sarcasm, right? Right. You know, like I, I, I do have a sense of humor. I am incredibly profane at times, uh, but I still I'm going to fight for all women, not just women who agree with me. And uh, that's important, too. Hmm. With the sense of humor thing, I think there's so many different, I guess, categorizations that we fall under when we 
when we comfortably sit in the feminist title or I don't even like to call it a title it's just a way of being but if you want to put it as some form of uh I guess activation or you know slogan whatever it is that it's turned into Uh I it's it's interesting I think it's um there's a lot of character traits that go under that 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 very much will swipe off particular parts of your personality i.e that you have a sense of humor uh that you have any form of non-serious bone in your body that you're very angry. Some of these, I think, can be good things. I don't think the angry one necessarily is always something we should be so ashamed of if that's something, because there's plenty of things to be angry about. But are there parts of your personality that because you fall under this bad feminist title and you do so much of this work and you write so much about this topic, which is quite serious, are there parts of your personality that people would have no idea about and who you are because they assume that you're this particular type of person? Um, you know, like everyone, I contain multitudes. And so I, you know, I've got range. I have things I'm serious about. I have my academic career. I have my writing career. I have the things that I'm passionate about personally and politically. And I am also incredibly funny. Uh, and these are not contradictory things. These are just all parts of who I am. And, you know, unfortunately, we want people to be black or white. We want mm. things simple we want things to be lacking in nuance because we don't really want to have to exert ourselves to try and understand each other Uh, but my work at least demands that you exert yourself and that you try and extend your empathy a bit further than you might otherwise and Mm. I think it's really important to create space for other people to do that to be themselves to contain these multitudes and um, especially as women (laughs) yeah especially for women because all too often women have been told to shut up and look pretty and Mm. to to live this way or that, and often to their own detriment. And I resist that as much as I possibly can. Do you think that there are women that naturally at their core fall under, I suppose, what would be the patriarchy ideal version of a woman naturally? Or do you think that there is no woman that exists that sits in that kind of I don't know, that real stereotype of the nodder and the homebody and the men come first, I suppose, uh, notion. Do you think there is anybody that is actually that person for their truth, from their truth and their core, or do you think that it is all completely through influence and the world that we, we live in and have lived in? We have no way of knowing. There's just no way of knowing. But when a woman says that she wants to, for example, stay at home and raise her children, I believe her. My mom stayed at home to raise my brothers and I, and we're frankly the better for it. Um, I think women should be allowed to do what they want to do, and they should be supported in those choices. Um, so, you know, I, I also think that we have all been raised in this patriarchal culture. And so how can we ever know if our motivations are our own? But Mm. at the same time, does it do anything productive or useful to go down that line of thinking? I don't think so. So I trust what women want. And I trust a woman who says, hey, this is my choice. And um, I believe that my husband is the head of the family. And I believe that my place is in making a home for us. And good for her. As long as she also understands that what we're fighting for as feminists is that if and when that relationship ends and he's no longer interested in financially contributing to the family, that she has recourse. And 
that there is a safe place for her to land um, when she's been out of the workplace for however many years. Um, and frankly, I wish we would talk about that more, that feminism mm. really is about expanding the choices that women have so that we don't all feel like we have to be in the workplace or we have to stay at home, um, that we have we can choose. And, and evolve or change, right? And, you know, also that what you want today may not be what you want tomorrow. Mm. It's interesting because when the concept of marriage came up in my relationship, it really fucked with me a bit mm-hmm. because... I was very, I, I was very passionate uh, in my twenties to find a, a real sense of calm and security in my independence uh, mm-hmm. and as a single person. And then when I met this dude, I was like, okay, you're you're actually pretty cool, and I'm into you. And I hadn't really thought about the concept of marriage before. It was not something that I really understood, and I think to some degree I fought against it so much so because of the way that it was. I, I guess it's it's history, right? I just didn't it didn't agree with me. I felt like no, fuck that. This is I was back in the day. I was barred off as a you know with camels and all this kind of crap. It's not for me. Mm-hmm. But then I think I went so far that I almost potentially robbed myself of something that deep down I wanted. I wanted that security, and I wanted that security with this particular person. Do you think sometimes, particularly with uh, a younger feminist or a younger person that's trying to grapple with their own identity in what it means that we can go too far the other way and sometimes rob ourselves of things that we want? Uh, I think that there are at times people misunderstand feminism and think that to be feminist means that you don't need anyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's actually not what feminism means. Um, You know, we shouldn't deprive ourselves of love, of companionship, of security, regardless of whether it's with a man, a woman, a non-binary person, Um, you know, there's a reason why the institution of marriage is so popular. And there's also a reason why it ends so much. It's really difficult, (laughs) but nothing wrong with thinking, you know what, I want to spend my life with someone. I certainly do. I have every intention of getting married and, um, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm actually just glad that I can marry whomever I want, whether it is a man or a woman, Mm. um, yeah, so I, I do think that sometimes people are their own worst enemies and they misinterpret mm. the feminist project and think that they can't. And that's unfortunate, but that is just an education problem, not a feminism problem. Yeah, of course. How much of the uh, the overanalysis of the word feminism is, is do you think about procrastination? I think a lot of it is. Like in 2019, people are still asking me what is feminism? Seriously? (laughs) Like, come on, let's just all fucking do better. It's absurd that this is a question that is still asked when we know goddamn well what feminism is. Um, It's because people don't want to actually do the work of feminism and they don't want to do the work of thinking about what it would take for us to achieve equity uh, uh, across the gender spectrum. And it's because people in power, men, don't want to give up that power. And why would they? It's great. Uh, so oh, it's frustrating, certainly. Mm. And I think a lot of people are quite naive about, you know, thinking that they might, they're doing something by having the conversation of what it is. Mm-hmm. And there is a, an element of action that I suppose is missing.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. What do you think? Do you, class your, do you classify yourself as an activist? Because I think many people are calling themselves feminists and doing nothing. What do you think is the difference between calling yourself a feminist and calling yourself feminist in action, actually doing the work to make well, change? I think the work of feminism differs from person to person. Uh, and I'm not the arbiter. But I think you know when you're doing the work and when you're talking about doing the work. And I think everyone else also knows. And so it just speaks for itself. I don't consider myself an activist because the activists are actually out there being activists, putting themselves on the front lines, creating community organizations and doing the necessary work to create change at the community, city, state, and national level. Uh, But I'm a writer and I definitely uh, lean towards social justice and thinking about the greater good in my work. And I am lucky that I have developed over the years a platform to bring attention to issues that matter and to people who are doing important work around issues that matter to me. Um, But yeah, I'm not so arrogant as to consider myself an activist. So when did you, I mean, what, why was, how is writing uh, the, the kind of love, the communication source for you? Where did that begin? Um, I've been writing since I was four years old. I've always loved writing and I just love writing about it for, I was writing, I would draw little villages on napkins and I would write stories about the people I imagined living in those villages. And that was just always really fun to me. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And I just loved this idea of telling stories, especially because as I got older and learned how to read, I loved reading and I wanted to be able to do that, to make people feel what I felt when I read a good book. Did you have to practice? Is it something that came quite naturally to you? I'm in the process of writing my first book and it's not, I'm a, definitely more comfy in the spoken word, that's for sure. It's, it's definitely both. a practice for me. Yeah, I think it's both. Um, I definitely... I do have a natural affinity for writing, but it takes work. And I've been writing actively for Mm. more than 20 years now. And I get better and I learn more every single day. And I hope to never stop learning and growing as a writer. And so with with your writing and the vulnerability, I guess, in it and and the process that you go through, is is it a difficult part of your, I guess position to put yourself forward like you do or is it something that you feel a bit called to do I mean it's challenging because I'm a private person and I'm a fairly quiet person uh, and yet uh, I recognize the privileges that I hold and I should do something with that privilege and so I'm doing something with my privilege and is it challenging sure but it's certainly not more challenging than uh, living in Flint and having no access to clean water it's certainly not challenging than being a woman in a state like um, Texas where abortion clinics are few and far between. Uh, so, you know, it's all relative. Hmm. 
I want to talk about the links um, in your book with with hunger and, and sexual violence. There's something so, I don't know, there was just something really full on that struck me um, with the the Cardinal Powell um, charges that are here in Australia, the Archbishop that has been charged, I'm not sure if you're across it, um, from the church uh, for sexual assault. And one of the victims spoke about, well, this is a quote that she said, at some point we realised that we trusted someone we should have feared and we fear those genuine relationships that we should trust. And I think particularly on this issue, there's so many factors that go unspoken because it's such a, a shaming and, and private or not private, I guess it's it's shaming and you feel uncomfortable to talk about it, but it is one of those things that I guess almost festers or eats at parts of your body and your soul that I suppose would a lot of other people are getting comfort from or or feeling that they can trust just differently than the people that have been the victim of that. How, how much of that trauma do you think has linked to other particular parts of your journey and, and and can you explain that a little bit for the listener that wouldn't have gone through an experience like that? I think that, you know, I'll never know how much the trauma has shaped who I am and what I do. Um, I, I've certainly thought about it quite a lot, but I, I'll never know. And so I just accept it for what it is, that this is who I am and these are the things I care about. And certainly they were influenced by being assaulted. Um and I, I am okay with that. I am as okay with that as I am ever going to be. And yeah. How did you get to that place? Did you have to, like, what was the, what was the process for you to get to a place of, well, it sounds like you've got some form of acceptance. Um, it's, it's, you know, take it, I take it day to day. Um, definitely I'm a work in progress, but the older I get, the less interested I am in trying to undo what has already been done because I can't mm. undo what has already been done. So I just have to accept what it is. Um, yeah, it's just, I, it's something I take day to day, but I just, I'm trying to spend less of my emotional energy trying to do something that's not possible, which is to undo this terrible thing that once happened to me. Mm. And so in This Is 42, some of the topics that they've brought up that I want to kind of fire at you and, and see what your take is on them, um, is a few of them domestic labour, sexual harassment and feminism or perpetuate, sorry, in the media. But I want to talk about domestic labour first. Mm -hmm. How much of this is an underlying issue in many of our lives that we are probably quite unaware of uh, the, the real effects of inequality in our own homes how much is going on under our own noses that we a misunderstanding is a is a symbol or a symptom of inequality well when you say domestic labor what do you mean like household chores yeah I mean I think it could be a whole heap of things whatever you put it as but I would imagine yeah who not even just household chores but who kind of holds you know it's funny I was speaking to a girlfriend about this the other day and even who holds the, I suppose the, it's like operations, right? Like who's buying the present for grandma? Who's who's organising oh, yeah. the birthday trip? Who's taking the freaking family photos? All this crap. And mm-hmm. it, it's not crap, it's quite important, but there's a real weight that definitely sits in the, in the woman's hand. So I suppose it could be a whole heap of things that fall under that domestic chores banner. Yeah. You know, in heterosexual relationships, the division of labor is such that generally women do most of the work. And it, it, 
I don't even think that we realize that we're doing most of the work because it just becomes like, oh, the default, like it's expected that the woman is going to make sure that you get all the gifts for all the relatives at Christmas and that um, the kids are going to get their physicals and that you're going to manage after school care and so on. And oftentimes when women work outside of the home, people say, oh, it's her salary that's covering daycare. Why isn't it the man's salary covering yeah, daycare? It's such an you interesting know, these are things point. that we have to have very real conversations about. The reality is that it's never going to be 50-50, but it has to be a balance. Like some days it's going to be 50-50, some days it's going to be 70-30, some days it's going to be 30-70. But in too many relationships, that balance is that a woman does 80% of the work all the time. And that's unsustainable. And uh, I think that the more we can bring attention to the importance of equity and gender roles in the home, the better off we're going to be. How do you, I mean, you're, no, you're not a counsellor, but, but as somebody that does commentate on this type of stuff, I feel like people are starting to maybe go, oh, really, God, I didn't even think about that, I just do it, but then have absolutely no idea how to change that in their own home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it can be really overwhelming because when you are in a relationship and, you're, and you have a family, oftentimes you fall into these patterns. And Not to you mention just, what your parents did and what you looked yes. at around, yeah. And it just becomes overwhelming to think, oh, how can I ever change this? Um, it just can be a lot. Okay. Um, so when we talk about equality within feminism – and we talk about different sizes, different colors, different shades, different, you know, every, all the different diversities that fall under feminism. Yes. As someone that sits as a, I guess, a white, blonde, relatively skinny uh, woman that sits mm-hmm. in this place and has started to get a bit of an idea of what feminism means to her, for her, mm-hmm. what can we be doing to diversify and be inclusive within that feminist banner for our sisters, our other women around us that may not look or sound or feel the same as we do. Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing is to think about the realities that we're all women, but depending on our subject position, we're affected by the world in different ways. And Mm -hmm. so we need to take that into account when we think about our feminist leanings and our feminist work. And also just think about what can I do with my privilege? It's something I try to think about every single day because I know I hold a lot of privilege. And so every day I just ask myself, what can I do effectively with this privilege? How can I give more than I take? And I think if all of us would ask that question and act on it in the ways that we can uh, within the constraints of our lives, the world would be a much better place. I think it's a great way to wrap up. I really appreciate your time, Roxanne. Good luck with the, uh, the in inverted commas, debate. <laughs> oh, thank you. It'll be interesting for sure. Thank you so much to Roxanne for taking the time. You may have heard a little bit of a topic jump right towards the end there, which we cut out the fact that she was saying that she had to go. There was someone in the background giving her a call and she needed to, to pop out. So if there is a few little jumps, that's where you heard them. And we edited that out, edited that out. So I just wanted to give that bit of explanation. If you are interested in seeing Roxanne, uh, you are able to do so. Uh, the event details are in show notes. But if you want tickets, you can head to thisis42.com. She is having a conversation about feminism with Christina Hoff Summers uh, in Sydney on Friday the 29th of March and in Melbourne Sunday the 31st of March. 
All right, guys, I have another Self-Centered Sunday coming up on Sunday, of course. And I've got a pretty big announcement to make about a brand new podcast very soon as well. Um, so you'll hear little tidbits about that on the show uh, and some new fun bits that are coming up on this particular show over the next few weeks that might be bite-sized and, and more information and tools for you to put in your tool belt about you know, self-inquiry and the best way for you to find your inner spark. All right, dudes, hope you enjoyed the chat with Roxanne. If you did, give it a review, rate it on iTunes at the moment. It is extra important to get your support. And if you liked the chat with her and you, you, you know, you enjoyed her scope on things, then make sure you let her know and let her know that you heard her here. All right, dudes, catch you on the flip side. See you Sunday, cats. Bye-bye for now. This has been another Bijou Podcast production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.